Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Ian Harditz, and today we are breaking down the 2020 fantasy football projections, thoughts, you know, potential of the Cleveland Browns. This is the a series we'll be doing up until week one of the season. Right now we are on the AFC North. Be sure to check out the Baltimore Ravens episode from last Monday if you missed it. But without further ado, the 2020 Cleveland Browns. And look, everyone, it's everyone's, you know, favorite 2019 sleeper, Baker Mayfield under center again. I think I speak for a lot of us that, you know, thought that Baker and OBJ in this passing game was just going to take off last year. And, you know, there's a lot of reason to think that. And this, you know, it's one of these situations where everyone is kind of coming out in hindsight saying, oh, it's, it's Freddie Kitchens. You know, like when we try to compare the 2019 Browns to 2020 Cardinals, the two things I hear are like, well, Kyler better than Baker and Kingsbury better than Kitchens. Like this is easy, everyone. And no, I, I don't think it was that easy last year. You go back to the 2018 season that Baker had, and yeah, he set the freaking league record for most passing scores by a rookie, but it wasn't even just that. It was the fact that when Hugh Jackson got fired and they brought in Kitchens to be the head coach, to be the play caller, I mean, Baker was just balling each and every week. Legit top 10 quarterback stuff. I mean, this guy was looking like a world beater in the second half of that 2018 season. So, you know, those splits, while people, you know, again, in hindsight can look back and go, Freddie Kitchens wasn't, wasn't the answer, you know, Baker's in over his head. Based on what we saw in 2018, very hard to draw those conclusions before 2019. If he did, hats off, but there's still a lot of talent here. And the one red flag that we really should have seen coming for Baker in this entire offense last year was when the Browns released Greg Robinson, their starting left tackle, before week one. They re-signed him, but this was like a weird cost-saving type move. And, you know, I'm not even faulting Dorsey necessarily for doing the move itself, but when you're doing a weird cost-cutting move with your freaking starting left tackle one week before the season, that's a little bit of a red flag. But luckily this year, we have a much more evidence that the Browns have actually addressed this offensive line. Signing Jack Conklin, using their first-round pick on Jedrick Wills from Bama. I mean, Finally, it seems like they have addressed this massive hole, and it's they're going to need to do it for Baker. I mean, had a uh, quarterback breakdown podcast with Evan Silva. You know, Evan talked about how you go through Baker's kind of career and past, and, you know, these smart scouts have brought it up where the guy has a bad habit, you know, tries to get out of the pocket to his right, even when he doesn't maybe need to leave. And it was a lot easier to extend plays in that manner at Oklahoma than it has been in the NFL against some of these defensive ends that are, you know, faster, if not every bit as athletic as uh, Baker. So talents there hopefully this o-line kind of helps him you know work better from the pocket because we know the weapons are still there i mean kareem hunt nick chubb obj jarvis landry austin hooper if you just want to name most talented you know pass catching receiving cores and starting offenses around the league that's going to be in your top 16 if not top 12 if not top 10 so bunch of talent o-line fixed the question from a fantasy perspective, is can Kevin Stefanski just enable a really high-end, fancy, productive passing game? Because what we saw in Minnesota last year, that was not the case. I mean, Kirk Cousins was setting career-best marks pretty much across the board in terms of efficiency, but that was a run-first offense centered around Dalvin Cook. Obviously, the Browns have the personnel out running back to feasibly be a very successful run-first offense. So I do think that Vikings offense was a little more controlled by Gary Kubiak than any of us knew, so I'm not too concerned about the uh, year one Stefanski splits. But with Baker, I mean, the one, again, I know I compared the 2019 Browns, 2020 Cardinals a little bit. The big difference between Baker and Kyler is that rushing floor that Kyler has. And unfortunately, Baker has nothing like that. We're ultimately looking at a talented, but, court, you know, 
bad quarterback based on what we saw last year. And Baker was awful for last season. There's no really sure code around that. So unless that improves dramatically, I just have a hard time seeing him even flirting with, you know, borderline QB1 status because I do think this passing volume in the offense is going to go down. And again, there's just no rushing floor to speak of. So, you know, Baker, I, I think we see a step forward in terms of efficiency, but not convinced we're going to see, you know, that 35 touchdown, you know, 4,500 plus yard season that a lot of us are hoping for in 2019. Moving on to running backs. I mean, name a better freaking running back room in the NFL. I don't think you can. Between Chubb and Hunt, you have two of what should be anyone's ideas, I think, of top 10 running backs with the balls in their hand in the league. And only Lamar Jackson is averaging more yards per rush than Nick Chubb among everyone with at least 300 carries over the last two years. I mean, PFF came out a couple weeks ago and went as far as to say that Chubb is the single best running back in the league, you know, with the ball in his hands. And there's a lot of stats to back that up. Only Derrick Henry has more yards after contact per touch than Chubb over these last two seasons. He's got that home run hitter ability he's silky smooth in the hole too I mean Nick Chubb anyone's idea of a baller but the problem is Hunt's there and he's also anyone's idea of a baller and last year it worked out for both of them enough I mean Chubb was the PPR RB6 before Hunt returned from suspension his targets got cut in half afterwards and he ended up being the RB15 with Kareem Hunt Hunt was the PPR RB17 during that time I mean this was an offense with Two running backs getting 50% plus snap rates week by week. And they were both of them. You know, we have Stefanski in the fold now, but the Vikings were dead last in the NFL last year in 11 personnel with three wide receiver sets. And, I mean, you look at the Browns wide receiver room, we know Landry and Beckham are studs, but all they really did this offseason was re-sign Richard Higgins, and they drafted Donovan Peoples-Jones in the sixth round. I mean, Kadero Hodge is there too, but one of the weaker, just number three wide receiver spots in the entire league. I, I know Higgins has done some nice things, so chill out before you bite my head off over Richard freaking Higgins. But clearly, I think this is an offense that could lean more on two RB and maybe even two tight end sets, much more than we'd expect otherwise. Because, again, get your best players on the field. We saw what Hunt did in Kansas City, and, okay, it wasn't quite that in Cleveland. This was still the league best player in terms of uh, broken tackles per touch, 0.42 broken tackles per touch. No one was more efficient in that statistic than Hunt last year. Again, Chubb, one of the game's best true runners, both, ideally, should be on the field plenty in 2020. Now, moving on to the wide receiver room. Man, you know, mentioned at the beginning, just talk about misses. I really thought we were looking at OBJ, wide receiver one, no problem, because, you know, pull up some of his targets from Eli the year before, and there were a good five touchdowns left on the field for Beckham. Now, is that something that happens to a lot of receivers when, you know, you're getting triple-digit targets per year? Yes, and, you know, I think I just got a little too excited about, in my opinion, one of the swaggiest and most talented receivers in the league. Beckham ends up finishing as a PPR wide receiver 25. Jarvis Landry was a PPR wide receiver 12. I mean, we've just seen him have that amazing chemistry with Baker. Even after they added Hunt, I mean, this was a two wide receiver condensed offense with, you know, Landry getting 71 targets over that second half of the season, OBJ 66, Hunt coming in third at 44. Guys, the problem is, I didn't anticipate Baker Mayfield looking a lot like Eli Manning last year. I mean, only Mike Evans had as many incomplete targets that PFF charged as the quarterback's fault last season compared to OBJ. I mean, the other guys that we see getting even over 20 such incompletions were Robbie Anderson, Allen Robinson, John Brown, Devontae Parker, Jamison Crowder. I mean, we're looking at Jets, Bears, Bills, Dolphins. And, yeah, the Browns are there right there alongside Jamison. So, was not – 
by any stretch of the imagination, all OBJ's fault last year. Obviously, he was playing through the sports hernia issue as well. I do think OBJ gets back on track to an extent because Stefanski, again, we mentioned this run-first offense. I'm not convinced we're going to see it be as extreme as last year. I mean, Stephon Diggs was the Vikings' number one wide receiver, only had 94 targets. But, I mean, Diggs was also the league's single best deep ball wide receiver last year, you know, in, in yards and catches on Passestone, at least 20 yards downfield. So, even if – Beckham is, you know, the wide receiver one, and we don't see that 150 target volume that we'd hope for. He, he is more than capable, a healthy version of Beckham, more than capable of making the most out of, you know, uh, borderline triple-digit targets. Bigger question is Jarvis Landry. And normally it's not a question. Normally this is a guy that is just so undervalued that we, you know, can just lock in as almost a wide receiver one to wide receiver two and draft him as a wide receiver three. This year is a little concerning. I mean, this hip injury is no joke, people. He had hip surgery, and this was a quote from May. This is Jarvis Landry in May. I can't predict when exactly I'll be on the field, whether that's July, August, or September, but obviously my anticipated return date is sometime in August. So he wants to be back. He wouldn't want to be back, but there's a lot up in the air with the injury. I think normally, you know, I've said this before, like when the only bad thing you can say about a fantasy player's prospects is that they're going to get injured, you know, really be – sure about that because I think injury prone players are something we overrate more times than not but in this case we have a wide receiver who we have not seen healthy from this injury I mean this is an off-season injury an off-season issue and you know I'm I'm just drafting other guys ahead of Landry It's, it's a little bit worrisome and that's even before getting into the potential issues of a new offense that's not going to be able to feed two wide receivers kind of top 10 target rates so you know it's a little bit like the Tampa Bay thing where it's you know, are Chris Goblin and Mike Evans each going to be wide receiver ones again? I don't think so. And that's, you know, that's why we're seeing the ADP uh, disparity between Beckham and Landry. I do think it's somewhat warranted this year. Lastly, moving on to tight end position. Ooh, man, I, I've, you know, said some not great things about Austin Hooper. Look, good for him. He got freaking paid. I mean, $42 million over four years. You know, kudos to you, Mr. Hooper. But you just look at his production last year. Like the Falcons never came in on Sunday going, hey, Julio, hey, Calvin, you know, you guys are great. We're going to throw the ball to Austin Hooper today. You look at his splits, and it was just the overwhelming majority of Austin Hooper's production last year came when the Falcons were trailing. And I just think when you look at this Browns offense, I mean, I don't think we're going to see Hooper getting those same sort of check down opportunities just play by play by play. I mean, that's what Kareem Hunt, that's what Jarvis Landry are there for as well. So, It's a situation where Hooper, I think everything went best case for him last year, being the number three option in the offense. And this year, I mean, I think we'd have to probably think he's going to be the fourth option. So his his path to a tight end one season is insane touchdown efficiency, double-digit scores really emerges at Baker's go-to threat in the red zone. But there's just a low floor here, and it's an issue with me trying to draft the guy inside the top ten tight ends. I mean, last year's the fancy in that offense, Kyle Rudolph, 48 targets, Irv Smith, 47. The David Njoku situation is very strange. You know, I don't like putting a bunch of stock behind a guy that's openly asking for a trade and, you know, seems to have pissed off the front office. But again, Vikings, lowest rate of 11 personnel last season. I mean, this could be a two tight end heavy offense. And, you know, Baker having played with Njoku now for two years, I don't think we should be super confident in Hooper just, you know, completely relegating Njoku to a bench role. So a uh, quick, funny kind of stat on the expensive tight end contracts. I just did an article uh, looking at, you know, how players perform when they change teams during the offseason. And guys, the tight end position is just uglier than any other one by far. These are the tight ends since 2016 that have gotten at least $20 million from a new team. Kobe Fleener, 
Trey Burton, Packers Jimmy Graham, Lions Jesse James, Martellus Bennett, and everyone's favorite tight end from the past, Ladarius freaking Green. So, you know, uphill battle for Austin Hooper. We'll see if he can make it happen. So my verdicts for these guys, a little bit lower, I think, than consensus on this offense as a whole. Baker I have as my QB 24. Nick Chubb, RB11. Kareem Hunt, RB27. I would say with both those guys, I mean, just the reality that if one of them goes down, they are an instant top five RB in the entire league in real life and fantasy. So, you know, I would say tiebreakers between those running backs, you know, feel free to go get the Browns guys. Then OBJ wide receiver, 14 Jarvis wide receiver, 35. If Jarvis plays 16 games, he's going to be absolutely fine. So I don't mind again, prioritizing Jarvis Landry in that range, but just, just be wor- worried about that hip injury. And, you know, I am, and then Austin Hooper tight end 15, which I'm much lower on than uh, most of the masses. So Brown's win total 8.5. It's interesting. It's an, it's a post hype year. New coach, the defense. I mean, they fell off a cliff in the last five weeks last year after the whole after the whole Miles Garrett, Mason Rudolph situation. But you know, potentially healthier secondary. Both Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams. I mean, missed a bunch of time early on in the season with hamstring injuries. And when you now you're speedy corners like that, obviously that's not going to help you. They improved the O line. Again, I see the improvement, but 8.5 in this division. I think they're going to finish third in at best. I don't know. I'm taking the under here. I think the Ravens are still a team to beat. Uh, we'll get to the Steelers on Friday, but I think just their roster construction as a whole is still vastly superior to the Browns. I see a step forward from last year from Baker and just as a team as a whole, maybe 2021 is a year for the Browns. I'm taking the under in 2020. This has been the Cleveland Browns Fantasy Football Preview. Thank you all for listening and until next time.